Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. We are delighted to bring you this episode. It is something pretty unusual. It is the very best male cross-country skier in the world, Johannes Klebo of Norway, sitting down for an hour-long Devin Kershaw Show podcast interview. Johannes and I taped this episode in Park City recently, and we've got more stuff coming from my visit there soon. We've got a bit of an unusual format here because Devin was sick and missed the taping with Johannes. We have a longer intro coming up next where he and I chat about the interview. Then we'll play the interview itself. You can also read coverage of Johannes Klebo's visit to Park City on FasterSkier.com where we've got a story posted. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this. We'll be right back. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation and Soldier Hollow. Soldier Hollow is nestled in the Wasatch Mountains, and it's in the middle of some major upgrades to the Nordic Center that should be ready this winter. Make it a destination for your next ski camp or vacation, or buy tickets to the upcoming Biathlon World Cup races that are scheduled there in March. Should be an awesome party. More information at utaholympiclegacy.com. We can catch up a little bit, but what a great interview. I, I mean, I, lo- I, I love the interview. So for people that are listening or want to listen to this, luckily for you, you don't have to hear me gripe and moan, but a fantastic interview. I would say the best interview we've had on the feed. Ever. I mean, I'm partial to our chat with Matt Whitcomb. I thought that was really good, but a professional journalist sitting down with the greatest skier of our generation and one of the greatest skiers of all time. I was so shocked with how articulate he was. I mean, I know I shouldn't be, but in English, and he was very open, and you ask such great poignant questions. I mean, this isn't just going to be a gushing monologue by me about how great a journalistic job you did, but I, I'm, I'm okay with that. You just keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll keep going a little bit. I, I think it shows our weakness, um, which is like the, and we've talked about this off air, but the whole um, tripod interview style thing over the internet is just awful. We get hate mail about it all the time, recently as well. Uh, our questions are long. We're interrupting each other. The connections are garbage. The Our mic setups are garbage. I mean, it's, we get it. We get it, people. And after you listen to this amazing interview with Claybo you will also understand that uh, perhaps we're going to have to try and look at a different way of doing things in the future. But that said, awesome interview. I, I want to hear your uh, the 30 second drill park city. You're a lucky, yeah. you're a lucky guy from heading down there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I will say I, this was a real, a real tough assignment that I, you know, was, was forced into by the, by the, uh, real hard driving editors at fasterskier.com to leave Alaska during like 10 consecutive days of rain and 50 degree, 10 degree, you know, temperatures as fall sets in. And uh, yeah, um, flew to parks or flew to Salt Lake city on uh, Thursday uh, last week had uh, some really great friends that I could stay with there uh, and then drove up to park city in my, uh, Mustang convertible, which, you know, we did not pay extra. They asked me if a Mustang would suit my needs when I picked up the rental car. And I was like, what if I say no? But I, I'm not going to say no. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just starting to be fall up there. I'd never been, I, you know, got a tour of soldier hollow from, uh, the, the folks who run that operation. And, um, it just, uh, you know, aside from the utter lack of oxygen and my consequent, like utter lack of ability to do any normal amount of athletic exertion, um, beautiful spot. I can understand why people are, you know, coming from Finland, from Norway, from Sweden, um, to hang out there. So yeah. And, you know, just like chill day with Johannes Kleibo and his dad and a little bit of my Dalkfist and Kevin Bolger as folks will hear in a future episode and, um, you know, tough, 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 tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Right. For sure. I was shocked that you'd never been to Park City before. And I, was reminiscing hardcore while listening to that interview one even though the tripod interview is just uh, also a pile of well that's more like a dumpster fire of disaster uh i still would have loved to to chat with johannes even though i mean i've talked with johannes a bunch we our career i it's hard for me to even say our careers overlap because my career was just on a one-way ticket to this like awfulness when his was coming out, but we did race on the same circuit for a couple of years there, the beginning of, of his World Cup career and the, the tail end of mine. And then I'd worked with <clears throat> with um, the Norwegian Ski Federation for a couple of years in the in the wax team, um, mostly as like a ski, not mostly as a ski tester. So don't worry. The reasons <laughs> the results are so good is I, I never powdered a single ski or applied one layer of grip wax to any race skis, but um, did a lot of work actually with uh, Johannes Claybo's um ex-technician but oh, that you touched upon in your interview and i thought he also answered that very very poignantly and uh with a lot of class and uh yeah so i i know how hard those guys work and i know how many pairs of skis claybo has because i've tested racks and racks and racks and racks of claybo skis uh, in the years that i was helping out the norwegians there but um oh he's a great guy and i i just i thought uh thought he did a wonderful job in the interview but park city is i i was feeling very nostalgic listening to that interview and of course listening off air you and i banter back and forth but you're you're telling me how great park city is i, I was shocked you'd never been there before autumn in park city is heaven on earth for for a cross-country skier um beautiful stable weather the leaves are turning the aspens are are, are starting to pop uh amazing roller skiing and claybo touches upon this in the interview too not to bear the lead too too much but it is a pretty special place that you can find whatever type of terrain you're looking for if you want to have flat roll easy or rolling terrain uh, at a decent altitude you can find that in park city but if you want to go up some big mountain passes and that's why i wanted to be on on the interview i guess because like i wanted to essentially just dork out and and you know talk about all the some of the nicest workouts i've ever done in my whole career and been lucky to travel the world with cross-country skiing but some of the passes in and around park city and some of the runs in the wasatch mountains is is phenomenal they're phenomenal training venues and it was really fun to hear the excitement in johannes's voice when he was saying that wow this place really is paradise and i look forward to coming back here um he's only been there three times but that that he's come back two years in a row here and, and really enjoying his time up in the up in the thin air of utah but it's um yeah, it really is. It really is a, a wonder of the world if you're a cross-country skier and, and dry land training. And much like Alaska, Nat, uh, Johannes Klebo is missing a COVID wave that is taking out all of Norway right now. Um, and also, yeah, eight degrees and pouring rain. I mean, I feel like every day 
since June has been eight degrees and pouring rain here in Norway. So Johannes, you made the right decision and it's always the right decision to go to Park City in the, September. My, my favorite part of the day was at the very end, um, I was taking off and they were all sitting down to dinner, uh, Johannes's dad, his physiotherapist and Johannes' girlfriend, Pernilla. And uh, they were all like, goodbye, goodbye. And we all shook hands and uh, I like turn around to head out the door and everyone is, has all sat down to dinner and they all get up and go to wash their hands. I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so yeah, well, maybe got to be pro. Maybe maybe we uh maybe we end it there and we promise you know some more content uh you know coming soon from, sure. from that visit and uh and upcoming sure I I want to add before we end it I'm gonna cut you off because that's what I do um before we end it I do want to ask you one one thing I guess there's a lot of things I mean we could do like a another quick hit afterwards if people are interested if not whatever send us emails we'll we'll answer them. But for me, one thing that did stand out to me that I just couldn't, there's two things actually, and then I'll let you go. Sorry, Nat. Oh, good. One, one, it, it's incredible to me that like Johannes Kleibo, we say this all the time, but he he's the Connor McDavid if you're into hockey. He's the LeBron James if you're into basketball. Um he, he he's the biggest thing in cross-country skiing. And I I just couldn't get over him describing how amazing it is. It's just so trippy to me living here in Norway where he's everything walking around in park city. No one knows him. He does whatever he wants. It's super chill. You, you heard how great he enjoyed that in the interview. You guys will hear that soon. And it was just blowing my mind uh, just to think about that. Like how weird I know cross country skiing is a small sport, but in Norway, it doesn't feel like a small sport in Sweden. It doesn't feel like a small sport either. And, and just to hear his perspective, and I've heard that perspective with Petter. I've heard that perspective with my wife and, and, uh, uh, Therese Johag, of course, who's one of my wife's really good friends. And and this is something that comes up again and again. But I thought it was interesting to hear that perspective from Johannes. And then the the other thing I think that was just amazing to hear, as I just ruined the whole podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on it. Think about this. When he does these little like community activation things, where he local kids get to come take pictures, do some like cute little training with Johannes Klebo and, and Maya Dahlquist in this this year. And no offense to Bolger, but sorry, buddy. I mean, Maya Dahlquist and Johannes Klebo are the draw here. Uh, and, it, you know, it grew from last year to this year. But talk about exclusivity. Could you imagine if LeBron James showed up in Germany or Norway, for that matter, in some random high school gym, like a really nice high school gym, and fly by the seat of their pants and 40 Norwegian basketball players get to hang out and take pictures with LeBron James. Like that's what's happening here. And I, I tip my hat to him to do that because um, he doesn't need to, he's not, he's not American. And also it's just trippy to me to think about it. That the, I, best, you know, the best in the biz do that. It's awesome. I, I so much respect. It was, it, it's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to have like some more to say about this. And I think we could talk about it on a future podcast. I also, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to save up some of my own like personal observations for um, something I'll write after I get done with sort of the journalistic stuff. But, you know, I will say like, I, a couple things, one, you really got the sense from like everyone who Johannes and his family kind of have come into contact with in like Park City and the area that like 
these guys are just like particularly just as you said like given Johannes's stature in Norway like as a superstar like an undeniable superstar maybe the greatest oh, yeah. of all time. um just like the most chill like normal friendly dudes and you know everyone they come into contact with is like yeah we'd like we really love these guys are like it's weird they're they're just like they're being really nice humans and I like I I honestly was like really sort of confused and like put off by it a little bit because um you know I'll say some more about this later but like I, I not to not that this is like about I didn't reach out to them like Johannes's dad reached out to me and he was like hey like are you still like working as a journalist in the U.S. like do you want to come down here like we have some time like we're here for this long and I, I just like I still don't really get it. Like he could just be like doing his thing, screening at least like, like he doesn't need press. He doesn't need anyone's attention. He doesn't really need anything. And yet, you know, they really seem like they're making some efforts to like connect with people um, and, and just like are doing it in the real and sincere way. And I think for me, like as a journalist, who's like, you know, just, I have that sort of skeptical gene turn on, turned on all the time. It's just sort of like, what, why, what is the ulterior motive here? Like, are, are they trying to like get back at the Norwegian national ski federation? Is it like something else? And I think, I think like the best as I can tell, having kind of directly asked them this question, like, I think they're just excited to be here and excited to like connect and, and, you know, build some energy in the like American cross country ski community. And like, I don't know. I, it's like not really for me to make a judgment about that, but like it's just it it's cool and it's it's interesting and it's surprising and it just was like very refreshing to like you know be so uncertain about like what to expect about meeting and having an opportunity to like talk with someone of at like with this sort of high of a profile and just kind of discovering like he's just like like Johannes Klaus was just like he's a pretty interesting dude like has a sense of humor very. thinks a lot about skiing and like that's that's it yeah very much so very much so and I mean a very I mean this sounds so ridiculous but I guess I am 40 years old uh he's sharp I mean he was so articulate in the interview and you know when I've talked with Johannes lately it's in Norwegian <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry Johannes and everyone that I mean my Norwegian's a work in progress uh, I was blown away by how articulate he was in English and uh, very candid. And I thought you did a wonderful job. And I apologize to well, we had 16 listeners. I guess that's what that's what uh, Yostan was hoping to get over 20 after the last interview. And and now, I mean, with me being sick and on the sidelines and you actually conducting a proper interview with in-depth and interesting questions. I mean, we we could be up to 36, 40, 40, perhaps after this and uh, it just goes to show who the weak link of this whole thing is obviously it's me Matt thanks so much for doing it and to the listeners enjoy this one because this was this one was something else and it's not every day that you get to sit down and interview like a true hall of famer and, and one of the greatest that ever lived and I think there's a lot of great nuggets in here I think there's a lot of great insights which was happening with the Norwegian national team and again please send us emails uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, but we'll just leave that again. We can come back to that in another episode, Nat, too. But yeah, a lot of great insights and a uh, wonderful job, Nat. I think, yeah, yeah, super jealous, especially here with uh, a fever in the rain of of Norway. Uh, it's a bummer, but, you know, I'm sure there will be some more chances here. So, yeah, thanks, Devin. And 
enjoy enjoy the listen and we'll be back soon shall we close the door or yeah that is here um i have a list then good perfect okay um so i'm here with i think it's safe to say well you know what i was actually going to say i'd like you to introduce yourself yeah, my name is Johannes Kleibau, uh, cross-country skier from Trondheim, Norway, uh, 26, soon 27 years old. Been in the World Cup circus now for six, five, six years. Uh, been participating in two Olympic Games, uh, one in Pyeongchang and last year in Beijing. And yeah, I mean... Just a huge fan of skiing, I guess, and, and love my job. Yeah, me too. Um, wh- who? Well, I'll, I'll start by asking uh, also, where, where are we? Yes, now we are in, in Utah, in Park City. Uh, so we're not in the house. Now in the house we are renting. Uh, we have been staying here now for almost a month. Uh, so... Yeah, it's uh, mid-September, and uh, I mean, just looking outside the window now, it's blue sky, perfect conditions for training, and it's as it has been for the last, last months when we have been here now, so yeah, it's perfect, and uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty good to stay up uh, in altitude here, it's quite similar to, you feel like you have the same environment as you have in kind of Norway, it's just that you are staying in 2,260 eight meters i think we are right now <laughs> yeah i know because when uh i got here yesterday and i tried to go for a jog <laughs> it's it not good you can feel it yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> um so one thing i was really curious about was when i uh when i came here i was curious if you would have do you know the word posse 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 like uh or entourage entourage yeah yeah, yeah. like a crew like would it be like Johannes and his dad and his brother and like four PR people and uh, masseuse <laughs> and a chef. But who, who's here with you? No, so now my dad is here. He has been here with me the whole month. Uh, so he's kind of my he's kind of my crew. He's yeah. the chef. Uh, he's my driver. He helps me with uh, taking the lactate. He is kind of doing everything for me here. Uh, so. That's my crew and also Pernilla, which is my girlfriend. She came She came last week uh, and she's staying here for yeah, the last 10 days of the stay just for because we are always staying away from each other all the time. So I think, thought it could be nice for her to, to come here and see how beautiful I think it is here because this is my second or third time here, but second time in the fall. Uh, and I just love the place. So it's, it's great for her to... To come here and see this as well, and and I also have Megan here, um, which actually lives here. She lives in Midway. And we're talking about this is Megan Stowe, who is an American physiotherapist who you've been working with for the past two years. No, last year, year actually. So okay. I will, I met her here last year. Uh, so we spent uh, two sessions here last year when I was here, and then I said, yeah. I said like. I would need to have her helping me more and then she came to Livigno three or four weeks later 
and she kind of stayed with me for three weeks back and forth a little bit during the season and helped me yeah before the season started and also during the world champs so she has been helping me a lot the last past year so i mean it's it's been really good and now it's perfect now to come over here again we have kind of set up a good room here where we have the table for massages and we have like the laser and everything which we are working with so it's it's working very well here but definitely uh i mean you know i i also thought it was funny i watched your video blog about coming here it's like you are in the nice part of the airplane but you're not in a private jet it's like you're still just mostly doing normal person stuff and here with your family and that's kind of how it works totally i mean I would say that we are pretty much down to earth. We, we're trying to do things easy. Uh, I mean, the best days that I can have during a stay like this is when I wake up early, I go out doing a morning session, coming in, relaxing. Uh, then I go out for a second session. And I mean, my days will just be eat, train, sleep. Those days are the ones I kind of value the most. Uh, but I mean, we are pretty, we are pretty easy people. I think we, we don't need much to to be satisfied and uh, i mean we are lucky that we're able to rent this it's a big house uh it's a little bit bigger than we rented last year but it's the same price and we kind of have a little bit more space i mean me and my dad traveling around 150 days a year i mean it's good to have at least a floor in between each other at some points so I think it's uh, it's working well here and um, yeah I think we really trying to just enjoy the time and um, even though I know that Park City is a kind of an expensive place I, I just love the environment here and the training facilities is, is perfect. It's, it's not any more expensive than Norway. <laughs> totally not I think it's pretty much the same so. So can you tell me a little bit more about like this is your third trip here and like what inspired you to come here last year for the first time? So the original plan was actually to come over here uh, in um, August 2020. Okay. Uh, but because of COVID and everything, that plan needed to change. So we wasn't able to come over then. But um, I've just heard a little bit about it. And uh, I just wanted to try something else. I know that when you're doing kind of high altitude training in Europe, you most likely stay kind of on the top of a pass, uh, meaning you either doing downhills or uphills. Um, the best part here is that you're staying kind of, yeah, you're staying high, but you can also, I mean, my morning session this morning was pretty much a flat loop, yeah. which is which is amazing. Uh, so it feels like being in Trondheim and being in Norway doing like flat loops you can do uphills you can do downhills you can do whatever but you're staying high which is which is the best part uh, and so I've just kind of heard about it and that was why I decided to I want to try something else and um, I have good, good experience about traveling over and I felt like just having eight eight hours time difference from Norway could be good for a while uh, I think it's just amazing to because when we wake up here, we have some my friends and stuff are, are awake. But when they kind of go to bed, I, it's not many people to talk to. So you kind of just be in your own bubble and you kind of do the things you need to do. So, so I like that part as well. And um, after being here last year for the first time, I said like, this is going to be my 
place for altitude training, especially the trip in August, which I did the same this year. So, and I was here actually 10 days right after the season to spend 10 days. I stayed at Megan's place and we did eight to 10 hours of treatments every day. So I, before this uh, trip, this fall actually, I haven't been seeing the main street in Park City. So last year I wasn't able, I just did training. And was I, when I was here with Megan in the spring, I was pretty much too tired to do anything. So I just wake up in the morning, Did I barely did the training session either. I just did treatments, went to bed again. That was how, how my stay was. But uh, I mean, it's I'm liking the place a lot, really. Has, uh, has anybody like outside of uh, the skiing context here, uh, like has anyone recognized you in the grocery store or like in a shop? No, no one, which is a good thing. Uh, I like that part. We actually was out last year, I uh, was out doing some golfing and uh, we kind of got paired up with two randoms, I guess. Uh, and I mean, when you're playing 18 holes of golf together with two randoms, you it's you're obviously st- starting to talk to them. So they were like, "What I'm asked me what I'm doing here," and I said, "I'm here in a training camp and stuff like that." And we kind of just spoke to each other during the 18 holes, and on the 17th or 16th hole, they like, "So what's your name? You're cross country skier. What's your name?" And I said my name, and she was like, "I want to Google you." I said. You can do that. That's that's okay. And and she googled me, and she was like, on the whole eighteen, was like, holy shit. I mean, and I was like, yeah, that's me. I've been we've been golfing now. It's everything's fine and stuff like that. But it's it's actually pretty nice. I I like um, like being here. It's just quiet and easy, and um, which is very different from real life in Norway. I imagine these days. Totally. It's it's. I mean, it isn't that it's a problem in Norway either. I mean, I feel like proof. People are pretty easy when it comes to that part, but still, it's just easier here because I don't need to even think about things here. I can just do my own thing, yeah. um, and that's really good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, one other thing I guess I'm curious about too is like it sounds like you. I mean, you did a. It, you have sort of connected with the skiing community here like you did a camp a little camp for kids one day with with kevin bolger the american skier in my office the um swedish olympic medalist and then also it sounds like you've been able to like find some people to train with too totally uh so it all started last year actually um i met luke jagger yeah uh, which become has become a friend of mine and uh, Daniel Fisher, which is a friend of him again, like they I met them last year during my stay here, and I joined them for a kind of a football match. Um, I stayed at their place, did some barbecue, we did out doing a biking session, and had a lot of fun. Um, so it all kind of started there, uh, and since kind of it's been this year, I don't know Luke moved to Alaska and uh, stuff like that. We kind of haven't been training much with people but i have still some friends here which is has been a part of um utah ski college yeah um so for me to just meet them it's been it's been real good uh and also with the kids camp that was kind of my suggestion last year when i was here i said to my dad like 
we should try to gather the kids here and see if we can kind of have a short little gathering and we'll kind of just talk to them and have a training session. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> last year was kind of a uh, last minute call for me. Um, we probably tried to plan it on a Monday and everything was happening on a th- Saturday. We were probably 25, 30 kids. I don't know how many of us. We were a lot of them. And uh, this year I said to my dad, like before we went here, like this year we need to plan it so kind of you can tell everyone in the area that yeah. we're going to do things. Uh, so this year it was probably like 40 and 50 people, which is twice as many as last year. And it was really nice for Kevin and Maya to join as well. They came in the day before and I asked them if they wanted to join uh, which was super nice so I think the kids had a great day uh, we had a great day it was a lot of fun seeing the kids we did the relay we did kind of a really cool training session everyone got to get pictures autographs uh, someone was there uh, giving them out ice cream um, so I mean it was a huge success and I, I love to see the kids and how happy they are even though i mean the facilities here it's at soldier hollow is is pretty amazing and um, i think you have really good potential here to to get some new upcoming skiers and it's also important for us while we are here to try to give a little bit back when when we have the chance yeah cool um one thing that seems really interesting to me is like you don't have a coach here um like you my understanding is like your grandfather has kind of always been your coach but you know i also can sort of observe that okay eight hour time difference like he's not here i are you pretty much your own coach at this point i am i won't once say that i'm my own coach but I mean, uh, before I went here, me and my granddad was sitting together and kind of planned things. So if things feels normal and my body is kind of in balance, you will kind of do 96 hours for the next 27 days. Like that's kind of how we did it. And we'll, we plotted in like, we're going to do nine or 10, uh, interval session. Um, so and I also, when I'm here now, I speak with him almost every day. Like, so the first thing I do in the morning, I'll call him and just say about how things feels and how my body are and stuff like that. So, so I won't say that I'm my own coach, but I have a lot of kind of uh, things. If I want to say that I don't think we should train today, that's that's the last word counting, you know. Um, I always have the have the last word, but uh, I mean I think it works pretty good with my granddad because we have this amazing relationship. Um, we know each other really well. We have a lot of good discussions. So just before I did the morning session here, I could call him and ask him about something, and then I will go like, out to do. Like what? No, that can be like um, I asked him about how much sugar. We're kind of going to eat during um, training session. I mean, you can have those kind of discussions. Yeah. Um, like, because you want to have do one, one or two solids during a training session. And I just asked him about that. We, we spoke a little bit about it. And then it can take like two, two, three hours. And then I'll just receive an email from him, which is like, I don't know, it's a pretty long email. And he has kind of gone through reading about it and like gone through a lot of different science and stuff like people 
with good experience, good experience with this part or the other, and like kind of figure out what he thinks is is the best way. And and that can be basically everything. It can be from the like I said, sugar, or it can be if I ask him about do we need to what do you think about blood volume? You know those kind of things. It can be like just weird weird things, I guess. Just really um, small things, but still. He's just going through things and I'll receive a long email. Do you, does anyone, like, do you do any work on, like, your technique? Like, does anyone take video of you here and you send it or at this point it's okay? I mean, uh, so when I'm back in Norway, uh, my granddad normally joins every interval sessions that I have. So then he kind of look at every techniques and we kind of work on it during the intervals uh while i'm here we do some filming my dad films me uh, and i'll send some over but i mean at some point it's also gonna be good to have like a month break of like always working on those technique parts um so but i mean last year as well he joined my granddad was able to join in livigno which was a lot of fun um and then he's just because that was when we first did skiing again like back on snow yeah and then it's very good to have him there because then it's like he will be there from the very start and we'll know we need to do this and this for, for the technique and we, we kind of work our, work us through it. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it works works fine actually. And um, I mean, in this world right now with the technology we have now, it's, it's pretty easy to just deliver a video and stuff like that. Do you, I mean, do you feel like you're at a point or maybe... I don't know, this has always been the case for you where um, you know your body and your training well enough to like know when to step back or push harder. Like I, I was talking with Luke Bodensteiner, who is a former American Olympic cross-country skier and uh, also now works with Soldier Hollow here. And he was describing how your approach during like an interval workout where basically you were just incredibly dialed in with like how fast you were doing a loop and exactly what your lactate would be. And he just was kind of stunned by how in tune you were with like your body and your level of exertion. And I don't know, is that something that you feel like you've kind of always had, or is it something that you feel like you've kind of gotten a level of confidence about, you know, as you've gotten older? I think it's actually a little bit of both, I guess. Because um, when I was younger, I felt like I struggled a little bit with that part. Um, I feel like one of my main strengths right now is that I'm able to, if I wake up one day and I'll kind of uncertain if I'm going to train or not, then I'm not uncertain. You know, I'll skip the session and I kind of know when my body body needs recovery. That's like um, a hard thing as a young athlete though, right? Because like, that's always the worst. You I mean, you always want to kind of just keep pushing and always trying to get better. And at some point, the best decision you can make is probably to take an easy session, you know, or just, just lay on your bed for a day or two. Um, those kind of things is always... Um, important to learn and I felt like I learned that a lot when I was like 19 years old uh, I had had a year where I I got sick almost every second week so I could train for two weeks sick for a week train two weeks sick for a week and that's just kept going for a year um, so just trying to figure out how you can kind of because you can train as hard as you want but if you don't recover well enough it doesn't help I mean 
those kind of things is, is really important. But when it comes to doing training sessions and feel the pace, feel your lactate and feel your pulse, heart rate, everything. I mean, those kind of things, I've, I felt like this is, has become something that I I also like to kind of dig into, you know. Uh, so when I'm doing a session, I, I want to kind of always guess my lactate on my next kind of uh, lap. Um, and, and for people who are listening who maybe don't totally understand this, it's like your lactate is, that's it's like... Um, that's lactic acid that builds up when you're working hard and it's yeah. basically a measure of how hard you're taxing your body totally so like a good um or a normal session like that can be six times ten minutes and you're doing the same lap every single lap uh, and um, then you can kind of you measure your lactate every 10 minutes and uh, then you will kind of get some answers about how how you kind of feel uh and it's it's a good i think heart rate is good uh, measurement to use but i think also especially up in the altitude like here it's it's way better to use the lactate so i try to use that a lot and i i feel like trying to learn your body and get to know your body as good as possible that's something you as an athlete really need to be aware of i guess yeah absolutely so um what are you expecting, like, what are your goals for this winter and how much uncertainty do you have about what you're even going to be doing this winter? Oh, uh, I mean, the certainty is probably the biggest questions. I mean, right now I don't don't know yet. Uh, hopefully the plan is to do World Cups and uh, participating there. Uh, that's my goal. And I also think we'll manage to, to do that as well. But uh I mean, my goal this year is, is for sure Torreski is important. I'm going to do everything I can there to, to be as well prepared as possible. Uh, then you also have like a really cool race in, in Trondheim, which is where I where I live. So we're going to have a World Cup weekend there the, the week before Christmas. Um, and then we are going to US, which is going to be US and Canada, which is going to be really cool. I won my first distance race in Quebec, in Canada. Uh, so going back to kind of Canada and to do a World Cup races there. And then for the first time in my career, doing World Cup races in, in the US, it's gonna be, it's gonna be huge. Um, I heard they were sold out the tickets on four or five minutes, something like that. Uh, so that's gonna be a wild experience, I guess. In case you didn't know, I live in Alaska, but I did these interviews in Soldier Hollow, Utah, which I was only able to do thanks to the generous support of those who have already participated in our voluntary subscription program at Faster Skier. If you enjoyed this interview and want more similar content like it from this winter, say from the Minneapolis or Canmore World Cups, we urge you to subscribe. You can do so at fasterskier.com support. Thank you. Is it fair to say this year is a little bit like less pressure and you can try some new things like being here for as long as you will be and maybe some other stuff too with with the understanding that like you really want to have stuff dialed in for Trondheim World Championships in 2025 and Olympics in 2026? Yeah, that's fair to say. I think um, I think you can lower your shoulders a little bit this year. Um, I'm doing everything I can for sure to be as well prepared as possible, but I want either like 
I, I think I can tr try different things during the season because um, I feel like I find uh, found a way that that works for me when it comes to kind of doing the altitude training. Um, so the biggest difference this year is going to be a lot of competitions. Um, I'll probably, if things feels okay and my body is paying attention and being in a being good, I guess I'll try to do every World Cup race. Um, but I mean, it's it's so many factors that it's hard to tell that early. But I feel like for me, everything that's in my mind right now, it's the World Champs in 2025 in Trondheim. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would rather lose every single race this year to just win one race in, World, in Trondheim. So this is this is where you uh, live and yeah, grew, grew up. And it's where I live and. I've lived there for now 21 years. Uh, out of 26, 27. Out of 26, I mean, yeah, 22 years. Um, I mean, the races is going to be five kilometers from where I live. I mean, I do most of my training in the area where the race is going to be. So I think it's fair to say that that is my main goal. And I'll, I'll do everything I can this year as well. I mean, I'm still being in the altitude. I'm still training. 100 plus hours uh, a month but still everything that's in my mind is it's next year so and what's happening in 25 so i think i'll trying to do everything right for for what's coming next i guess does 2025 in some ways feel almost more important to you than the olympics the next year similar that's that at least similar i probably think that the 25 in Toronto will be one of my most important weeks of my life i guess so yeah, I think it's fair to say. And then we have the Olympics in, in Europe again, um, which is going to be super nice. I mean, we have been over to, um, I mean, to Pyeongchang and Beijing now. So it's it's good to actually hold one Olympics in Europe. And um, yeah, I think that will be a huge experience as well. Yeah. So the, the we, maybe you know the saying, the elephant in the room. This is your situation with the national team. Um, I've read uh, I've read some stuff from uh, translation through Google, and I think I probably know as much as like your average Norwegian citizen. Maybe not as much as your average like Norwegian ski fan or journalist, but um, I don't know. It, it's funny, like to me as a journalist, th th this feels like a sensitive question, but. Actually, it also seems like maybe this is something you feel like people don't have a good understanding of and you kind of want to share your perspective. So, like, what, what is the story there? Like, why is this not working? I, well, and I should say, basically, the issue is uh, for your whole career up to now, you've been part of the Norwegian national team run by the Norwegian National Ski Federation. And this year, basically... Uh, you and the national team have not been able to reach an, an agreement for you to continue. And it's uh, maybe each side has an opinion about why. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm interested to hear about this. Totally. Um, and I have been speaking a little bit about it, like to some Norwegian media as well. And I feel like um, for me, it's important to say that this doesn't have anything to, it's not about kind of economics part. I mean, I would probably be in a better economic position being on the national team rather than staying outside as I'm doing right now. Uh, 
So this is more up to kind of... I'll, I'll just say it a little more clearly, like, it's not about the money. It's not about the money, not, <laughs> okay. not at all. It's, it's all about, for me, it's all about values. It's about how we are treating people. Um, and um, those two factors are, for me, really, really important. It's something that I'm kind of uh, always been working out of, I guess, because... Um, for me, it's important to take care of the people you have around you. Um, and a good example is, um, it's kind of been two. So this year they struggle a little bit. So they two days before the team was supposed to be presented, they kind of kicked two people out of the team. They, they called Didrik Tonset and who was the second? Scar. Right. Uh, and said that you guys are not taking part of the team, even though both of them have woke up podiums this year uh which is pretty where i guess no one else has or no one other nation national teams has kind of kicking out people with podiums but i mean it's nothing wrong about saying that you don't have space for everyone that's that's fair enough but it's about how you do things it's about when you do things um and um, I mean, two days before things is going to be presented, I feel like that is a little bit short term. Um, I mean, as an athlete, you or a skier, you have like April, which is an Im pretty important month if you're not going to be a part of the team because you need to kind of find, you need to set a plan for your training. You need to kind of book places where you're going to stay. You need to find a vaxxer. You need to all those kind of things that are a part of the national team. You need to figure out yourself. And by waiting that long, you kind of take that um, take that uh, chance, or I, I feel like you just give them not enough time to to figure out those kind of questions they need to to figure out. And um, that's just an example about how things are. And I feel like um, you you need to do kind of treat people in a good way. And if you're gonna do that, you need to kind of be open. You need to have some values from from your bottom of your heart, I guess, uh, which I don't think they have right now. I feel like they're kind of balancing on a line and just taking really short-term decisions uh, without thinking about the athletes. I feel like the athletes are coming way behind in the line, which I don't, which I think is wrong. Um, so it's those kind of things that I'm been really important for me to say, and uh, which I was one of the reasons why I said like, okay, I will be good by not being the part of the national team. Uh, I'm going to do the altitude here. I'm going to do altitude uh, next month in Livigno, uh, meaning I won't be a part of a lot of training camps anyways. Uh, and the rest of the guys is not going to do altitude, meaning, okay, then it's better for me to give my spot to Didrik or um, Sindre for them to kind of have the chance to join the team on training camps uh, and for them to kind of have because they at least going to join way more than I'm going to do so that was a pretty easy decision when I first made the decision and I, I feel pretty good about the decision I made I felt like if I feel right now it's that it was the right decision and um, yeah hopefully I, I'm not saying no to the national team in the future I think that the national team is, is a good theme, team I just think that it's important that athletes need to be prioritized and that the federation and the leaders in the federation needs 
to get some more values into their mindset of working. If not, I think they will kind of destroy everything. That's that's my thinking. Low low stakes here. Um, uh, if I was the representative of the Norwegian Ski Federation and we were having a negotiation right now and I had the contract printed out and I said, Johannes, sign on the dotted line. What would be the things that are part of the contract that you would say like, this needs to change before I will, you know, come back and be a part of this? I mean, for, for me, it's been important to say that I've been working about like the athletes' rights uh, for for a long time, and that's always something that I think it's important. I think that it's I want to for sure help the national team. I think it's important for a national team to have athletes, and athletes needs to help the the federation with the the sponsoring things. They need to join for different gatherings, all those kind of things. I'm totally aware of that, and I I am feeling good about joining those kind of things because I know it's important but I also think it's important for the federation to understand that the athletes has has some rights as well and it's important for the athletes to could be able to to do the things based on the athletes values as well and um, those kind of things it's it's important for me to have having a contract for for me to could have could have signed that one can, I mean can you give me an example of that is it it sounds like there's some this like question about if if you want to do like events or camps or also to have like sponsorships outside the national team structure right now is that a pretty difficult thing it could be it could be hard it depends though i mean you can always find ways but it's i mean you which is natural though you can't kind of have a competition if you if the federation has an agreement with um, coke you can't sign with pepsi no that's right um but it sounds like part of the issue is that like right now if you're an athlete and you're signing up for the national team like basically you're you're agreeing to sort of be part of their structure and and their represent their sponsors and at some level, like that limits what you can do outside of that. And also like the way that the national team is compensating you, like it's like 30,000 euros a year. It's not like, I, and I understand that it's, this is sort of an issue for you personally, maybe as someone who can attract like lots of sponsors, but also just an issue for the team in general, where like people, the, the biggest like sports stars in Norway should maybe have more of an opportunity to like go outside of the national team structure to be able to like earn a living. Is that part of it? I mean, for me personally, it's, it's here as well. It's not about, not that much about the money actually. It's more about if I kind of have some values, which is important for me and the Federation is going in an agreement with kind of a brand, which, I totally can kind of represent. I mean, it's it's wrong based on my values. Those kind of things is the things I feel is the worst because then you're kind of put in a corner and you need to kind of decide, you know. Uh, and and for me, it's it's important that kind of that the athletes has some values they stand for. And if that's kind of being wrong by having an agreement with one of the federations kind of sponsors i feel like it's at least the athletes words should be heard from the federations as well which i don't feel like it is right now so 
I think it's a hard balance because I, I feel like I always want to... I know how much I love to be a part of the national team when I was younger and stuff like that. Right now, I feel like uh, it's been more kind of taking energy from me because it's just so many factors which I feel is, is wrong because I've always been really uh, into and it's always been important for me about how I treat people, my values, what I stand for, stuff like that, um, which people probably don't understand. I know that it's always a it's always a balance, but um, like just to give an example of that, like it seems like last year there was an issue with Via Play, yeah. right? Where it was like you had an issue with the way that they were a sponsor of the national team, but also covering you like editorially and that wasn't you weren't cool with that and basically like you know there was like races where you actually taped over or just didn't put the i didn't put a logo on you know and i was for me that time it was because i felt like i want to when i'm speaking to the media i want to speak to the media like an athlete and i want to be kind of free i don't want want me to be like people and the media start questioning my kind of how to say that um integrity kind of yeah because we have an agreement with another kind of media brand which is which i think is really important and what i said like then is like for me i don't i think this is wrong um i totally understand why the federation is signing the agreement but for me it's wrong i don't want to have that kind of logo on my on my racing suit but so that was some discussions, and it, that's just an exam example. Yeah, and it seems like the main sort of takeaway here is like, you know, not not to not that this is something that it's like you're at this point like you can kind of stand on your own, and if you're going to be part of like a national team structure, you want to feel like in the the English word we would use is the sort of reciprocal relationship where like you're bringing a lot to them. And they really should be, you know, they don't have to do everything you want, but at least they should be treating you sort of with like respect and bringing, you know, listening to the th ideas that you're bringing to the table. And it feels like right now that's like... For me, it will be like a give or give and take. Yeah. Uh, and now, and this year it didn't feel like that. It felt like I was, was way too many factors that I was like, okay, I... And now we are on, we don't have any kind of championship this year i felt like okay if it's a year to try try this and to at least um say no i think this is the year and this is my way to say because i have tried to be a part of it now for four years um and i've tried to kind of give feedbacks i have tried to get involved in stuff which i think can for sure help things uh, and i'm not saying that i have kind of the result and know things better than they do totally not but i feel like at some point when i think that also she'd kind of hear my thoughts as well um and um that was why i said like okay this is my way of kind of taking this uh how how to, just to say that this is wrong though i yeah. mean instead of just saying yes one more time and staying on the media press conference there and saying yes i'm super happy and super satisfied with being a partner of the national team when i know that that's not truth i i felt like this was wrong so i think it's better for me to just say no to the national team now and hopefully we can make this um like a change and it that it can be better for for the next ones that's that's my goal 
Can, can I put like a finer point on the question of money? Because it does actually seem like understanding the things that you're saying and my understanding of the way that the ski team works, like in a normal year, if you were with the ski team, if you were doing their camps, they would be paying for your camps. They also would pay for your wax technician and your transportation. Um, this year, presumably you will be on your own and paying for all of that yourself. Um, and it, and correct to say that it's not like all of a sudden, because you're not part of the Norwegian national team, you have signed like eight endorsement deals. Like, do you think it is like, can you say with some amount of confidence that you probably will earn less money this year being outside of the structure or is maybe it's a little more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated because, um, I think I'll probably, uh, kind of, I don't know how to say those, but like last year, um, the Federation is kind of, they, the agreement was that they pay for my altitude camps. Uh, so this camp would be natural for the Federation to pay for this year. I'm paying for this myself, you know? Uh, and so, and I, I feel like also with being the part of the national team, I can sign, I can sign agreements with sponsors and stuff like that, even though I'm a part of the national team. So it really depends if I feel like I can, if I have time to do sponsorships or stuff like that. Um, so, so I would say right now with uh, how things has become and how things has been, I, I'm probably, I would say, probably losing like a little bit about being outside right now. But that, that can change. I mean, if I decide to do kind of uh, agreement with someone or I kind of find that it could be cool to do a sponsorship with someone that can kind of change. But still, I, that same sponsorship I could have done even though I was a part of the, the national team. So so it's it's a little bit hard, but I, I for sure spend way more. I have more expenses this year than I had last year, that's for sure. Are the relationships that you have with the people in the Norwegian Ski Federation and the ski team, are those kind of broken in a way that like they can't be fixed easily or do you think it's like everyone's taking a little bit of a break now but the relationships are good enough that maybe in the middle of the season or the end of the season into next year that like it could be easy enough or is it like maybe some of the people in those roles need to change before you're ready to come back no i think it's uh, i feel like my relationships to the, my teammates you know it's it's really good uh i feel like that one is I would have loved to be a part of the national team because I love to have the those teammates around. Uh, but um, I think it's uh, fair to say that it's some of the um, some of the roles, and I have some kind of we have had a lot of discussions. That's for sure. Uh, but I think it's important to say that I'm not kind of I'm not being angry for a long time. You know, I I don't have any problems with having discussions and that we are disagreeing about something. I. I don't think that kind of ruins a uh, relationship. I think that can, if you do things right and if you have some kind of, if you are a little bit kind of, how to say that, um, down to earth, but you're like uh, humble enough, uh, I think having discussions and disagreements will build the relationship in a better way. But if you are being more arrogant, I think, that's hard, you know. So I actually think it depends a little bit about how I'm. I'm. I'm feeling good about kind of 
I would have no problem with going back to the national team and just going back to things if things can change. I mean, that's that's important for me to see changes and see that things is going in a better way. But uh, not necessarily like Espen Bjurvig or the head of the Ski Federation, more like just about the way that the relationship works. Like, Yeah, what I miss from, from Espen Bjurvig and from, from the Federation is I miss leaders that stands for something, that have some values, and that they're not afraid of taking some uh, difficult decisions. Um, right now, I feel like the worst thing I feel like it's I have this motto, which is only dead fish follows the river. And that's how I feel things are right now. I think we are going a little bit too much. The speed on the river is a little bit too high right now. And I feel like the, um, the, the federation and the leaders not right now are, are sleeping a little bit. So we are kind of going the opposite direction. We, what we want to do is we want to kind of develop the ski, cross country skiing. We want it to be better. We want it to be uh, cooler, I guess. Uh, so I think it's important to say that um, I have no problem with coming back and I, I would love to sit down and kind of, I love to have these agreements. I have no problems with having these agreements. It's just that if we're being humble and not arrogant, I think this will be fixed in no time. Um, how are you? Uh, how are you doing? How's, do you, should we check your lactate? I think my lactate is probably higher now than it was doing uh, six times ten minutes. <laughs> Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. Right now, there is a little bit of uncertainty. I mean, you don't have, like, there's a rule that says if you're not part of the national team, you can't ski in World Cups. Uh, that hasn't changed yet. It seems like eventually it's probably going to change before the season, but I like that it seems like right now you do have the option to race for Petter Nortug's uh, World Lapa team. How, yeah. is, that, is that, could you see yourself actually doing that this, this winter? Yeah, that's my B plan, you know? So... <laughs> My A plan is to do the World Cups, and if that's not gonna work, I feel I'll, then I'm guessing I'm joining him, and then it will be, yeah, then I will be like a helping writer for Peter Nordwig. He'll be the domestique. Yeah, I, I did forget to ask. I have one more question about the national team, which is like, I'm an outsider, right? Like, I don't live in Norway. I don't necessarily have a great impression of like how things are supposed to work or how things have historically worked, but and it does seem like. Historically, there has been a fair amount of drama with the national team and the ski federation. However, you look at the last couple of years and like there have clearly been like some big problems, like the way that the women said that they were sort of treated and felt like they were disrespected during the Beijing Olympic Games, um, the, the chaos uh, around the team selection this year, also around the selection for some of the races uh, in, in Planitza. 
And then now, like, your former wax technician is out there in the press basically, basically saying, like, the Norwegian wax bus was, like, a homo homophobic in- environment. Like, your skis, like, a pair of your best skis got trashed. And he was, like, this is in the process of him being laid off. I don't know a ton about that. But what I do know as, like, an outsider looking in and someone who, like, just professionally watches stuff, this is a mess. And, like, is, do you agree with that? Like, does totally. it feel like a mess? Totally. And that's, like I said, it's all about how we are treating people. It's about the values we are standing for, like, what's, what is important for us. And as a leader, it's really important that you kind of see those things and take kind of um, actions when things isn't good enough. And that's where I felt feel like things has been really not good enough for, for the last part. And I feel like these things is just good examples about how, because I have, I felt like it's, it's really comes down to the values and it's just comes down to how we treat people. And that's, I mean, we're people, every all of us are people and we like to be in good environments. We like to be with people who gives us energy and treating us well and when the opposite is happening i mean that doesn't give a good working um, environment which is really important we are need we are doing um we're working with athletes everyone here is trying to be as good as they can we kind of we do everything we do is based on least amount of kind of energy leaks you know uh so everyone is doing their best and I think then it's really important to have someone on top there kind of um, being in the being in the front and actually showing some actions I, I feel like that is that is important so I'll let you off the the hook here in just like a couple minutes there but uh, there are a couple other things I wanted to ask you one is 10 years from now you retire um, you look back on your career, like what are the accomplishments that like you think or you want to be most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, but I mean, I, I have some already, which I think I always will be kind of proud of, even though I feel like it's both sides. I mean, the world champs in 21, when I decided to, okay, I don't want to make, that was a 50K. Um, I got disqualified on the last, yeah, I don't know, 100 meters. Um, this was like a now famous incident with, uh, there was a sort of collision with Bolshunov and then uh, Iverson um, got elevated from bronze to gold medal. Yeah. At least it was a fellow Trondheim guy, right? Or That's northern, true. Northern guy. But uh, I mean, because the fun part is that they changed the rules the year after. Uh, I was being a part of the, being part of the, kind of athletes who joined their meetings and stuff like that and they they changed the rules after that in- incident um too so if that ever that happened again i would probably be standing there with a gold medal uh but i mean now looking back at that time and also the decision for me to say that i don't want to go to court with this um and say like okay i'll take the disqualification and i start looking forward I think that is probably one of the moments where I will look back and say like, okay, I'm pretty glad I did that because 
for me, skiing and sports has always been about emotions, about kind of when I'm crossing the finish line, I want to know that I'll have won the race. You know, I don't want to go to court to win the race. Uh, so everything just felt wrong at that time. Uh, right now, it would be kind of nice to just have a World Cup or a World Champ gold medal in from the 50k. But on the other hand, it, I think it's again based on values um and i guess i can say that i'm proud that i made that decision even though it hurts sometimes when people say like you don't have a gold medal from any world champs or olympic goals from like uh, gold medals in distance racing still i know that i, I was pretty close that day um and um and yeah so so i feel like that one is for sure a moment where i felt like Right now, I some days I feel like I did the wrong choice, you know, with not going to court. But when I look back, I, I think I, I made the right choice. Do you think, I mean, if you look forward as far as like, you know, what the next five or ten years of your career will look like and sort of what you want the legacy of that period of your career to be? Yeah, I mean, Trondheim will be important. The same with the Olympics in 26. I mean, those two years will be pretty significant for for my kind of i don't know legacy i don't know but it's it will for sure for me it means a lot to do too well in those two two events so i'm gonna for sure work as hard as i can for those two so then we'll then we'll see i mean 10 years from now it's it's a long time it's hard to say if you had asked me 10 years ago if i would said like you will be sitting uh, in utah and um, kind of have the results uh, that I have had right now, I would have said like I don't believe you. So I, I feel like well, everything. I guess I'm I'm actually more curious about like it seems like at some level you have a little bit of a vision to change the sport a little bit, and and so like if you're successful in that, like you know how would the sport look different? I mean, I've said earlier that I think we can start looking at different sports and see what we can learn from them. I mean in we have in cycling it's they do the world champs there as well for them for norway but i mean in their world cups they're doing from private teams i mean i just have some thoughts um it's hard to say that if it would work in skiing or not but i i love to i hate when people are being too satisfied you know i i love to try to look forward try to see different options look at different things and see what we can kind of work on to to become better and to get the sport cooler i guess um so those kind of things is is always important for me and i i think i will kind of still working on those parts um now i made my decision to not be a part of the national team we'll see how that goes can be a step in the direction i don't know yeah. uh it wasn't my plan when i started this my plan was just to say that i think the federation is doing a lot of wrong things now uh, but on the other other hand, I think like, I mean, Peter Nordic did it some years ago. Um, I think it's it's a lot of different options out there, uh, out there, and you can just. I don't think we should be satisfied. I just think we should kind of work more and uh, be that. Uh, you know, the fish uh, swimming against the river. Yeah. I think that's like how how I like to to look at things. As, as an Alaskan, I can relate to this with our salmon. But um, <laughs> my last question, and this is just uh, sort of 
a privilege for me just to watch television and then you know it's like my job to come down here and ask you things that I'm curious about it's really tough it's a tough job but um we talk a lot on the podcast about your uh ability to ski corners better than anybody else sometimes like in a way that just makes everyone else look stupid uh and I think I think a little bit about um uh, the, it, there was, there was, I think it was the course at, in Valmaster, uh, this year where there was like a huge berm and everyone is like sliding around the berm and Johannes is stepping on the far side of the berm in a way that just like makes everyone else look like kids. And it's, it's, I think, you know, there are other, there are other ways, like you use corners in a way where like other people just sort of navigate them and like you use them to generate speed and I just wonder if you can talk about that a little bit, like how much, how much you work on that and how much that's natural and like what you do to work on it and just how much of a focus that is for you. Cause it's, to me, it's very noticeable. I think it's for sure. It's a little bit of it. It's natural. Uh, but on the other hand, I think, um, to say that though, it's, it's important for me to kind of start where it all started. And I think when I was like 10 years old, plus from 10 to 15 uh, or probably earlier like 5 to 15 I mean those 10 years what I did was like I loved to be out skiing Um, I did a lot of jumping like we my granddad made a jump I did a loop I went over jumped and did like loops and loops and loops because I didn't I, I didn't think it was that much fun to just go out skiing but I loved to jump you know so but then I started working, we had a lot of competitions in my club, like my local club. So what we did was like, when we started a season, we always went to one place in Sweden where it was early snow. We stayed in cabins, uh, we kind of ate a lot of potato chips and candy and stuff like that, you know, but we were it's training. basically what you do now. Basically what I'm doing now. But we did two, hour, two hours probably in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, like skiing. And all we did was like... We had so many competitions like relays we had we had this really long downhill and the competition was who can stay on one leg as long as possible or one ski as long as possible so we kind of worked on our balance all the time we did a lot of kind of competitions which i think was really healthy and good um so that was probably where that kind of can you say playfulness i mean the playfulness of of skiing because that has been kind of really important for me too i like to play on skis i like to try different things i like to learn different things learn new things uh and that was what we did when i was younger and i kind of just developed that part and brought that into my career um so so right now i feel like you can you can look at different other sports you can look at cycling you can look at formula one you know it's a lot of different sports that has a lot of turns where you can kind of look at but on the other hand, I feel like it's so different from what we're doing in skiing. So what I've tried to do is just that I've tried a lot of different turns. And I just love to, I take my choices based on a turn by my gut now, you know. So I feel like I kind of have worked so much into it. So I kind of can, by looking at the corner, I can say like, okay, I'm going to take that corner on the outside inside you know instead of taking it in the middle 
stopping the skis up and just take the corner i'll try to go outside and just go inside those kind of things is now easier than it was but i think for me it all started with playing and that's something i just brought into my career as well now was was your did your grandfather did he have like an do you know ulterior motive do you know what that means like uh did he have a master plan that this was going to make you, you know, better at cornering than than Kiko Pellegrino when you were a <laughs> World Cup ski racer? Or he was just like, you know, I want to be outside with my grandson and have fun. And, and it happens to kind of build this skill. I think the last thing. I think yeah. for sure he... I don't think he had like a goal for me to be the best possible cross-country skier. I think his goal was for me to enjoy skiing, have a lot of fun, and to just be outside you know just to enjoy being in the nature and stuff like that and I think that's where we kind of started and by me loving to be outside and enjoying skiing so much ended up with me getting a, getting into skiing and being a kind of an athlete myself and uh, I think it's it's a pretty cool cool story because we really really started local and small and it was just all happening really fast and I think we have for sure been lucky on the way but still we have been working really hard especially the last last years yeah well your dad is here to check your uh, lactate level now so <laughs> we'll say uh, thank you for joining us Johannes Kagwa the um, you know pro- probably the most high profile guest we've had on the Devin <laughs> Kershaw show I don't know like we've had some uh, American friends but uh, you know it's it's uh we're, we're, we, were, we were willing to have you as, as a guest here. So uh, thank, thank you for having me. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.